What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Welcome back, podcast family. I'm so excited to be back in your earbuds today and really excited to bring you a super special episode, one that came about from engagement and discussion on LinkedIn, a social media platform for those of you who are not familiar with it. It all stemmed from a post that I shared. I will share the actual post in the episode, but it stirred up all kinds of controversy and insights and ultimately led to this conversation and hopefully more conversations like it because I think it was very valuable to continue the conversation off of the social media platform and in an environment where we could actually see each other, hear each other, and not sort of rely solely on polished words that could be edited on a social media platform. So with that being said, the background of this is based in a shift, I believe, that's taking place in healthcare, where we're more and more aware of how over-medicated our society is and starting to shift the focus on what the needs are of those who are chronically ill and how we can better address that. And then sort of as a whole, what other problems are in the healthcare field and industry and how we can start to tackle that so it is improved for both sides. Just to give you some stats as a background, there were 2.4 billion prescriptions in 1997. In 2016, that was 4.5 billion. Billion with a B. And that's a close to doubling. So it's a significant and rising issue. And as a pharmacist, this is near and dear to my heart because for, you know, a couple years out of the many that I worked in the trenches of pharmacy, some of those were in retail and some of those were in actual dispensing roles. And I saw very firsthand how significant this problem is. In 2014, 1.3 million people went to the ER because of adverse drug effects and 124,000 people died. So those are some significant numbers. And so it definitely brings this topic to light and to heart. And so I really hope that you enjoy this panel is completely organic, (laughs) much like the foods I like to eat. Now, this panel came about because these were the people in the healthcare field, in the healthcare industry, who saw my post and answered the call, the call being a post about taking this discussion off of LinkedIn and into an actual conversation. These are the people whose heart and passion called them to join us. So I didn't know any of them beforehand. I had connected with some of them on LinkedIn, but I didn't know any of them, had never spoken to any of them in any lengthy degree outside of just that post. And so this really is an organic reach of people coming together who want to discuss this more, who want to improve healthcare. And I love it for many reasons, including that one. So please enjoy. All right, this should be super fantastic. I'm really excited to interview this panel of amazing people and professionals in the healthcare space in some capacity about uh, actually just bouncing off of a LinkedIn post I recently put up that was clearly something that people were passionate about and created some controversial uh, feelings and insights, which I welcomed. And also I am welcoming all opinions on this podcast episode as well. So what I'm first going to do is ask everybody to introduce themselves. Then I will repeat the post and then we'll get into insights and opinions. So we'll give you the background of everybody at the outset, so you know who's speaking and where they're coming from. So, Jerika, would you like to start? Hello and good morning. I am Dr. Jerika Dodd, and I'm a pharmacist of 23 years. 
I spent 17 of those years in the pharmaceutical industry and the last three of those years I've spent as a full-time entrepreneur. I am the CEO of Your Pharmacy Advocate, Partners in Safe Medication Use, and I believe that America is over-medicated. All right, Marie-Christine. Hi, nice to be here and meet you all. I'm Dr. Marie-Christine Dix. I am a chiropractor of 15 years and a functional medicine doctor. And this topic I'm hugely passionate about, you know, from a natural health perspective, I'm with you, Jerika. I think everyone is over-medicated, getting sicker, and we're not seeing an end in sight. So really happy to be here. All right, Chase, you're next. I'm Chase DeMarco, founder at MedEd.University, and might have an interesting perspective here since I went to a small Caribbean medical school, and since then I've been involved in medical education in a wide range of different avenues and really want to focus on evidence-based medicine. All right, Zach, you're next. Yeah, thank you, Claudia, and thank you, team. It's going to be an exciting conversation. I um, I bring a different perspective outside of the medical sphere. So I work for Tier One Performance, and we're a consultancy that's just really passionate about putting people at the center of performance improvements. And um, actually, in our space, we're working with uh, retail pharmacies to think about how they might transform and serve patients better in the future. So some of what intrigues me about this topic is the the systematic disconnect between provider and pharmacist and patient, and how we can think through that. All right, and finally, Brant. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be here. Been a pharmacist for 27 years, but I had my aha moment about seven and a half years ago when I was uh, introduced to holistic health and nutrition. And I'm a firm believer that the body can be healed from the inside out when we really address the three health Mm -hmm. issues that we all face today. And that's nutrient deficiency, toxicity, and the shortening of our telomeres. So um, my passion uh, used to be pharmacy, but it's now about uh, healing the body from the inside out. Glad to be here. All right. I love the varieties of backgrounds and insights that are coming our way. So let me start with the controversial post and then we can just dive in. So this was not actually my sign. It was a picture that I, I shared of a sign on a wall. And it says, if your doctor prescribes you medication without first asking about dot, 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 your diet, your sleep, your exercise routine, your water consumption, whether you have any structural issues and the stress in your life, then you don't have a doctor. You have a drug dealer. I totally get that. That is a heated ending to what may have started out as people are like, yeah, I'm on board. Okay. Wait, drugs zero went too far. I get that. I get that. This is, um, maybe feels like an aggressive statement and, um, it wasn't, again, it wasn't my picture. I shared it. And then I shared my own experience in the world of pharmacy as part of the post. So with that being the background, for those of you who are not connected with me on LinkedIn and maybe didn't see that, you know how this all started. So that started and then I don't even know it was like, you know, there's like 200,000 plus views now and I don't know what else is happening with it. So it started a conversation on all sides. There were a variety of agreements and disagreements, some heated on both sides, some, you know, relatively coming in peace. So what I would like to do is open it up first to why this spoke to you on either way, an agreement or disagreement. And what about it made you want to further dive into a conversation on healthcare improvements and insights? So we're going to, I already told the group, we're going to try to keep this as, um, seamless and coordinated as possible. Um, so I'm going to kind of, um, you know, navigate who's speaking. And so we don't get, get too crazy, but who would like to first talk to what this, how this spoke to you and what your initial thoughts were. Chase. Actually, I think, uh, it might be helpful at least for me to take a step back and actually find out what everyone's thought is on what is the definition of functional medicine from your point of view, because that seems to be a huge point of disconnect and argument. All right. Functional medicine. Who wants to take that question? What is, what does functional? All right. I I thought Marie Christine was going to go, but I didn't want to assume. All right, Marie Christine. Um, so 
how do you mean the disconnect chase so um the misunderstanding in terms of what functional medicine is or just the lack of the lack of media coverage is that what you mean no what's your definition of it oh what's my definition so functional medicine is is a blend of all the best bits of medicine and holistic healthcare, where you're looking at the whole body as a unit so a holistic system looking at diet lifestyle exercise mindset and looking at how that imbalances in any of those areas interact and affect that individual. So it's not a one size fits all medicine as, as a lot of medicine, Western medicine approaches things today. We look at how previous you know, experiences may have impacted the individual later down the line and, and how we can help rebuild bodies from the inside out. Does anybody else want to answer that? Maybe somebody either in the field or somebody who's knowledgeable about functional medicine. Jerika. So I have functional medicine training as well. And when I read that sign, I was like, that's functional medicine. That's functional medicine. And looking at how can we one, allow the body to heal and two, get to the root of the root cause of the problem. If we don't get to the root cause, then we're just putting Band-Aids on. So that your post, and I actually was looking for it so I could look at the sign while we're having this conversation. When I read your post, that's what stuck out. That's what's missing in healthcare today is no one's asking those questions. It's, it's kind of like problem, okay, here's the solution. And it usually, ends up being a prescription at a retail pharmacy. But functional medicine, in my opinion, is getting to the root cause. And in order to get to the root cause, you cannot ignore the, the statements that were in the picture that you posted. All right, Zach? Yeah, team, um, a question from my perspective that, that I'd love your all's pers perspectives on. You know, something we're kind of exploring is that I, I'm finding a real barrier that patients don't want functional medicine. You know, we're in this kind of transactional culture today. We're in this rushed mindset. And sometimes, you know, in the research that we're doing, um, we're, we're finding patients are saying, maybe I don't want anything at the pharmacy. I just want to show up and pick up my medication as quick as possible and kind of chase to your point. Um, you know, when I'm with my provider, the same may be true there. So I'm coming at this from outside the, the world of medicine. I'm wondering what you all are seeing and even if we as providers or providers want to give that type of care, is it something that patients are actually interested in engaging in? Yeah, great point, Zach. And that point was brought up quite a bit in the, in the comment section. Brand, did you want to comment at all or do we? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. Great. I love the, the conversation uh, here. Um, you know, you think about the average person that goes to the doctor today, right? Right. They, why are they going to the doctor? They don't feel good. Something's wrong. <laughs> Something's not right something's out of the norm, right? So the doctor diagnoses person A with either A and B or both, and they typically hand them two or three prescriptions and they come, they go see their happy pharmacist, right? And, you know, I think to Jerrica's point, it, it's a, it's a Band-Aid. In most cases, it's just a Band-Aid on the what's going on. It doesn't get down to the root cause, like functional medicine can potentially, like holistic nutrition that I've learned can when you address um, the essential nutrient piece and the toxicity piece um, along with, a, you know, supporting your telomeres. So, you know, it, it's, um, you know, to your point, Zachary, I think uh, a lot of people want that quick fix. They don't really care because of how uh, fast paced life um, most Americans are today. But at the same time, it's educating people, right? It's educating people, you know, what did your doctor talk to you about nutrition at your visit? Well, almost all the time, it's nothing. It's nothing at all. And you're never going to hear a doctor talk about toxicity, of course, um, and trying to eliminate the toxins and the artificial ingredients and all that kind of stuff, because then they can't prescribe drugs, right? So great conversation. Thank you, Brant. Okay. Chase, I know is chomping at the bit. So Chase, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess the only one from a, a physician side here, it's going to be a bit one-sided on this, uh, a lot of the discussion today, but um, 
I would like to point out that the term functional medicine doesn't actually have a, a strong root definition. And that's one of the big issues that we seem to come across with discussing it with patients or other types of providers. Um, functional medicine is one of those catch-all phrases for most providers that it can mean whatever they want it to. And that's where it becomes really frustrating and why I wanted to see everyone's um, description, their definition of what it means. Functional medicine started off as CAM, complementary and alternative medicine. Then they changed the name to integrative medicine. Now they've changed the name to functional medicine. And it seems like they keep trying to move the goalposts because every time one of them starts to sort of gain a bad reputation, at least from the scientific medical view, uh, a lot of research will come out showing that there's not a lot of evidence for what they're claiming, that a lot of functional medicine practitioners will sell their own supplements and have other very concerning red flags as far as their financial interests in the tests that they're um, providing and the supplements they're giving, but also that the, the patients end up often being charged more and sometimes coming to significant harm from these practices because they're being given unregulated supplements. They're being told that this test is going to determine their genetic differences when there's really no validity to that test for the purposes they're using it. So there are a lot of financial concerns and patient care concerns, um, at least for physicians. And I'm not nearly as familiar with how this relates to other practitioners using this term, but also just the fact that the term can be pretty much used by anyone. Uh, you hear people in all walks of life. I've heard people fresh out of school saying, I'm a functional medicine practitioner. Like, all right, what does that mean? Well, I read this article is basically what it comes to because the only certification takes two to three years and uh, that I'm aware of anyway. And uh, a lot of people have not actually gained that certification, not saying that that certification actually meets any standard of education. Um, not extremely familiar with it, but it changes all the time. But again, being able to claim functional medicine for anyone at any point really just confuses the patients as well. What does it mean? A lot of healthcare professionals don't know. Okay. And I will say that I um, appreciate all points of view on here. I do think that there is a divide because we are in a shift period in healthcare and I will even say as a pharmacist, and I've said this actually multiple times on my podcast, in my training in pharmacy school, we were actually taught to role play and okay, this, you know, this patient comes up to you, you're at a retail pharmacy and they want to take a supplement and we were to role play and to, to give all of the reasons why they should not take the supplement. It didn't even matter what the supplement was, did not even like what it was. It was not part of the role playing. Like it was just, you come, they come up, we tell them it's not regulated by the FDA. You shouldn't take it. And the conversation's basically over. And so, I mean, we got that role play down like real well. <laughs> um, and so I do think that there is sort of this training period that, that we all go through of, you know, how we, how we are supposed to model and approach healthcare practice as clinicians. And, and I, while I completely understand and validate that there are, there is FDA exists for a reason. Um, I also think there's a lot of validity and, um, benefit to opening the conversation to, okay, well, what if it wasn't that quite that black and white, if we could just open up that, that door of curiosity. So to Chase's point about the functional medicine field and the training, I have not actually gone through any formal functional medicine training, nor do I call myself a functional medicine practitioner, but I know that we do have those on here that are. So I would love to hear what, what is your understanding of what, what did you go through? What kind of training did you go through and what is that the normal process or are there just, you know, tons and tons of functional medicine schools? I don't know much about that. So I will open that to those who do. So that would be, um, Jerika and Marie Christine. Hi, so um, so I've trained with the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is based in the US. It's kind of one of the bigger, bigger known functional medicine training providers, and also with a chap called Chris Cresser. There is there's multiple different providers, and you're right, there's a certification process that takes between two to four years. Um, but you don't have to do the certification process to call yourself a functional medicine provider. Um, and there's 
jurisdictions people come into it from every aspect so on the courses you could have pharmacists gps chiros um radiologists anyone um with a medical background has to be passed to go onto the course and then you do individual modules of interest and then go on to certification if you wish um so yeah i do appreciate kind of what you're saying chase you know you could have a, a grad student coming out doing one module and saying they're a functional medicine practitioner um in my experience I haven't seen that really it's you know at the end of the day the the study is huge um and I think you'd be getting yourself into quite tricky territory quite quickly but that's just my experience I don't know if you've you've had experience different to mine um in terms of you mentioned uh it can get very costly for patients so I, I find this a bit of a tricky one because I'm based in in the UK so we have the NHS, which we don't pay for, but I, I'm actually based in Jersey in the Channel Islands, which is an offshore island, and we do pay for our GP. So for patients on island, they would much rather come to see a practitioner who's going to deal with lifestyle, diet, exercise, and give them, give them things they can do to heal themselves and evidence-based information and pay for that rather than go to their GP and pay for a prescription. But I appreciate I'm I'm in a different space in the UK I think people would probably go to their GP because it was free um and they'd be a little bit different about going to see someone where they have to pay but I think it really depends on where you are in the world um and the paradigm that we're selling really if, if the paradigm we're selling is is sickness-based care that you go to your GP when you're sick rather than go to your GP or your healthcare provider to find out how to be well that's that's the narrative I feel we need to change but I guess that's why we're all here today and debating how we help that Jerrica yes. I mean I don't know what your your kind of situation is so I agree with Dr. Marie Christine um, and I, I did attend the Institute of Functional Medicine as well um, and I think that you can definitely get into debating what's functional medicine, if it's valid or if it's not. But at the end of the day, patients want solutions to their problems. And you can call it functional medicine, you can call it integrative medicine, you can call it whatever you like. As a functional medicine trained pharmacist, it, it, it flies in the face of a lot of what we learned in pharmacy school because Claudia is spot on when she says, we were taught this is what you say when someone asks about a supplement, not, what, not even what is that supplement, but just this blanket, the FDA you know, hasn't, hasn't um, shown that that's been, that's been proven. And so whether, I, to me, it doesn't matter, we could split hairs all day on that subject alone. But at the end of the day, if the physician is not asking about diet, sleep, exercise, water consumption, structural issues, and stress, what are we doing? Because as a functional medicine patient personally, I believe that when I reached the end of the road and I couldn't get any more help, I got lots of prescriptions, but it wasn't solving the problem. It was just, if anything, compounding the problem. I had to do something different. And I think that that's why patients end up looking for someone that says, who can help me with my entire life? Because we're not put in boxes and compartmentalized. And even when I had, I had brain surgery five years ago, and it was not a functional medicine or, or uh, Western medicine issue, it was a mechanical problem. However, what I found was that every physician that I saw was focused on their part of the body, their specialty. No one could look at the whole thing all together. And I literally, because I'm a healthcare practitioner, I had to do that, go get everybody's notes and put them together and go, all right, now look at the volume and what do you think? And so I think that patients are looking for solutions to their problems. I don't know that they're hung up on what we call it. If, if it works, I don't care if the FDA approved it or not, if it works for me. And I'll try it because when I reached the end of my road and nothing else was working, but I had a stack of prescriptions and plenty of side effects to go with them, 
I'll try it. <laughs> All right. I appreciate those thoughts. Chase, did you want to respond to either of those um, before we, we move into sort of the next question? Oh, yes. I'd love to. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, first, uh, Marie Christine, yes, that is an interesting point. I hadn't really considered too much is how the different countries that your different backgrounds, where you come from is going to affect that. So that can be vastly different. What we often see in the U S at least from some of the, um, sort of the economic reports on these types of things is yes, some medications can be very expensive. Some surgeries can be very expensive. Um, those are usually we'll say on, on one end of the spectrum. That's not the average patient in the U S however, pretty much every patient that goes to a functional medicine practitioner, or not every, but we'll say uh, my experience has been the vast majority, um, will end up with a lot of expensive tests for your gut health, for genetics, for this and that, and supplements, which on a month to month basis ends up costing them a lot more than whatever the medication their counterpart in, we'll say Western medicine would have given them. And a lot of times those supplements and those tests are not strongly validated or proven to actually help. So yes, we can kind of make the argument on both sides. There are some patients that have very, very expensive medications and that if there's an alternative there, I can understand them wanting to find that alternative while also focusing on, you know, an evidence-based because we all know the placebo effect and, and the effect that can have. And then we're just misdiagnosing or mistreating patients potentially. But also to um, Jerika's point there, it's, did I say that right? Sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's, it, I guess it's really interesting to hear from different healthcare practitioners too, because this seems to be one of those cases where not knowing how the other healthcare professions work, make it very complicated. So when I hear some of the conversation about, well, our doctors don't ask enough questions about our history and don't look at us holistically, I kind of find it ironic because if you think about it, last time you went to the doctor's office, didn't you have to fill out a form beforehand and probably fill out a second one when you got there and then maybe filled out a third or had to say it to the nurse practitioner or whoever you saw before the doctor. And then when the doctor came in, you had to repeat all of your past history and medications. So we do want to gather a large portion of the past history of the patient, whether it's all explained to us is different. Um, sometimes it's incomplete. Sometimes patients forget certain things or don't think this particular supplement is relevant or whatever the case may be. Um, and then the generalist versus specialist argument I hear all the time. And to a degree, that's true, but that's why your GP is kind of the generalist, the first person you go to. And that's why you're not supposed to usually go see a specialist unless you get a referral from them. They are trying to pinpoint what is going on. And then if they can't handle it themselves, send you off to a specialist. That's at least how it's supposed to work in theory. Some physicians are better than others, obviously, but I would say um, in sort of a, how to phrase this, the number of physicians that look into functional medicine initially is probably pretty high, but the number that actually come away with it, thinking that it's a valid, um, medical treatment is pretty low. I would say it goes hand in hand very often with um, COVID, for instance, like 90, what, six, 98% of physicians are vaccinated, but then those two to 4% that are not are very, very vocal. And those are the ones you see go viral all over social media. So it's not uh, an accurate representation of most of physicians, but I know there's a lot of different points there. So I I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Um, there's a lot there and I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movement. Uh, Marie Christine's got like, now she's got a, a different kind of smile. So those of you who are listening only on audio are, are missing out a little bit on the, on the video, but no, I, I appreciate all sides. I, before we started, I actually said my approach is rather than our often default, which is yes, but I like to take the approach of, um, a, a, rather than saying, but, and negating what was just saying, instead of, instead of saying yes, but to say now what, okay. So this is the reality this right. Because chase, this is, this is your reality. And it's not, I'm like, there's no negating the fact that this is what you're living and, and breathing. And there's also no negating the reality that this is what the rest who are speaking are, are living and breathing. So 
I think that they're all um, valid points because they're, they're what, what your experience shows. So, and to, I think to, to make any substantial or significant change, we have to have discussions like this that are on all sides. If we, and, and that was some of the, the point on the post too, is some people were like, well, this is just preaching to the choir because now you're, you know, you're just, um, saying what we are all thinking, but there were actually some disagreements on there. One of which was that, and I think Zach already touched on this. So Zach, you're welcome to take this if you want, but a point of patients don't want this patients want the easy fix. So even if I, as a physician wanted to talk to them about nutrition or sleep or activity, they don't want to hear that they want a pill because that's what's easy. And Part of my, and I even hate to use the word argument because I really don't find it to be an argument, but part of my point to that point was, have we as a society sold the fact that taking a pill is easy? And can we help people unlearn that? Because I don't think that most pills are very easy at all. Um, I would have to say that, you know, what might seem like an easy, you know, swallow of a pill really results in a lot of not easy down the road complications, meaning potential adverse effects and the cost of that pill and going to the pharmacy to get it and adding pills on to take, you know, to take for the side effects. And so possibly we just need to reevaluate what we're selling as easy. But with that being said, I don't want this to all be my, my, my whole intention is to, to guide the conversation. So I know Zach, you mentioned that, did you want to take, um, take that at all? Because you've already kind of hit on that. Yeah, I'm happy to, to just at least open the conversation space because, it, again, as someone on this panel that's not really practicing in either of these areas, I, I won't really speak to the patient interaction. But I will say in the work we're doing in retail pharmacy, um, a lot of our time was spent obviously kind of interviewing and observing both providers and pharmacists and then patients. And, um, you know, one of the things we do from kind of a design lens or design thinking lens is we look for... Um, what Clayton Christensen is called jobs to be done. And, and as a way to search for kind of pain points or needs that patients may have when they're trying to interact with a pharmacist or with a provider. And a lot of times when you're looking for jobs to be done, you're also on the hunt for compensating behaviors, these things that people do when they're on the hunt for a solution that they just haven't found yet. And so I, I will say like in this space, it's interesting because some of the compensating behaviors we observe when we're just studying patients and pharmacists and providers is, really have to do with time and speed and efficiency. And so I don't know in, in those worlds how the provider at kind of the root, the pharmacist later, um, and whether that provider is kind of functionally practicing or, or maybe more traditionally or Western leaning, how they get around this, what you called out, Claudia, the societal norm to just default to speed, to default to convenience. When, you know, um, I'm hearing uh, Jerika and Dr. Marie, Christine, you, you guys are both talking about proactive solutions, you know, being more proactive and not retroactive. So I, I'll just say we have the same insights. We have the same data. Um, we hear, you know, truth that patients are kind of struggling in that space. And I don't know how you all as providers, you know, get around that or broaden the conversation from that one moment of need where they're looking for the pill or even the more functional version of the pill. Yeah. Anybody else want to tackle the idea that maybe patients aren't looking for this, that maybe we are wanting something for them that they don't want. And they really do want just the pill and they don't want to talk about their, or they don't want to take the action that's required to make the changes that would negate the need for the medications. Brant. You know, I guess this is, as I'm hearing everyone talk, you know, like, what if, what if at the doctor's office, you know, to, to your point, Chase, you know, you fill out the paperwork ahead of time, you may fill out more paperwork when you get there. Um, and then the GP sees you. What if the patient was posed the question? Now, do you prefer a quick fix and your symptoms will uh, go away or get reduced? Or do you prefer a long-term solution? I guess that would, what, do you, what are your guys' thoughts on that? You know, what do you think the patient would say in that situation? And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Chase, Chase is moving around. When Chase is <laughs> unmuting and moving around, so he's ready to go. <laughs> yes. Well, um, that's actually a very good question, a very good point. And that's, that really um, reminds me that I think there might be a bit of a misunderstanding here uh, in total too, because I do hear a lot of people, not just in this conversation, but in general, say that um, you know, doc or functional medicine, we we focus on exercise and nutrition and sleep and all these other quote unquote holistic things, and 
that is something that physicians are trained to do in. And I think Brent's point is exactly why that gets sort of beaten out of them. <laughs> because when you're in med school, you're trained to ask about these things. You always ask about smoking, you ask about diet, you ask about what's going on at home. But when you're seeing 15 patients an hour over months, over years, and they're all saying, no, everything's fine, just shrugging it off. They only want to discuss that one thing at that one time. Then you kind of start getting under the impression that uh, maybe me asking is not the most productive use of this time. Or maybe there's a different way to ask it that we weren't really taught to do well. And again, being limited on time often in most hospital settings, that is, it's a balance that you have to kind of negotiate depending on your patient load. You can't ask everything every time. But I do think that if that was the conversation, if more patients said, hey, what about this alternative? And not just about necessarily a, a supplement or something that a doctor is more likely to shrug off if there's no evidence for it anyway, some supplements there are. Um, but really bring up, like, do you recommend an exercise regimen or can you send me to a physical therapist or something along those lines? Um, the doctor usually, at least from my experience, be more than happy to do that. So the conversation can make a big difference, but I think doctors are very busy and often, um, sort of get socialized to thinking certain things matter more and certain things don't. And patients also might not be aware of what to ask for or how to ask for it. So that communication between them can be pretty tricky. I can definitely agree on the communication being tricky. Um, as I actually work as a patient advocate and it's often this gray space where like physicians talking, patients talking, and it's like, they don't, there's some block right here in the middle that I just call the gray space. And that is often the primary problem people come to me with. And oftentimes when I can talk to both sides, it's like this door opened that they didn't even know could open. And so I do think that there is some kind of a gap in the ability for that connection to take place largely in part due to just time limitations. And I definitely don't discount or negate or in any way diminish the fact that the system is not right now built and functioning to support physicians and even trying to do all those questions that were in the picture. I completely understand that. And you know, to a few points that were brought up in the comments of, you know, what about, you know, what about in the emergency room and the EpiPens? I mean, clearly, obviously in emergency situations, life-saving interventions are going to be a priority. No question. Nobody's asking about sleep when, you know, a peanut was just ingested and, and an EpiPen is needed. I completely get that. And that's, um, you know, I, I think also we sometimes, um, deflect with, with exceptions and, um, and it's hard for us to tackle these situations when we're working every day in it. And it's, they seem so big and overwhelming and we can't even, we feel like we can't even begin to tackle them. So to the point of, I want to just bring in a few, a few stats, um, just to bring in again, part of the training that goes in, in medical schools. Um, and I already talked about pharmacy schools, so this is not just <laughs> medical schools, pharmacy schools have a long way to go to. Um, but in, in 2008, and that was the last date that I have the stats. So I'm sure this is not perfectly the same, but 94% of internal medicine residents in the U S thought it was their duty to address nutrition issues, but 14, one, four percent felt they had the necessary training to do so. So, you know, I'm curious as to your, any of your thoughts on, on that, and that maybe the physicians do want to bring this up, but then they don't know if they bring it up, if they have the right knowledge and skill set to be able to guide that person in any type of individualized way to what would be the next right steps of, of an eating program for them. And you know, I, I know that's, that's kind of the push for there to be more collaborative practices where maybe the physician brings up the idea, the patient's interested. Okay. Now you can go see my, you know, whomever lifestyle medicine practitioner who works over here or nutritionist or registered dietitian, and then, um, you know, move that person onto the one who does do that every day and has more of the knowledge. But I'm just curious as to how much of this you feel, any of you feel is due to just a lack of education and training. And we aren't arming our physicians with the knowledge that they need to have these conversations, um, either, either to have them themselves or even to know who to then send them to if the patient is open and interested. So, um, Marie Christine. Yeah, thank you, Claudia. Um, 
I think Chase brought up a really good point. I think physicians are in a position where you have five minute appointments if you're lucky and you don't have time, whereas functional medicine appointments do tend to be a lot longer. So, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jerrica, with your practice, that when you spend longer with a client, that's when the goal comes up. It's all the information that they don't have time to tell you. Or it might be on a second visit. Eventually, that's when the real goal comes up where you get to the nitty gritty and go, oh, hang on a second. That's actually linked to this system. That's linked to this system. You mentioned this and you start to join the dots. And I, I think our GPs particularly, they just don't have time for that. And even if they do want to cover nutrition, they're not trained for it. I mean, I think they're, they're woefully out their depth. Um, I mean, I, I've had my own GP say that supplements are just expensive we. Um, and if that's, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to have a kind of a conversation about omega-3, because is that expensive we? Um, if you're using omega-3 supplements instead of ibuprofen, because, or uh, what do you call it in the States? Um, uh, it's an NSAID, basically. I think you've got a different name for it. Um, but an NSAID destroys your gut wall. It causes leaky gut, which causes all sorts of other problems. Is there ever any chat about that? Um, so I think we do need to kind of set our physicians up with the knowledge so that even in that five minutes, they can say, look, I haven't got time to speak to you, but there are other practitioners, whether it's functional medicine, whether it's a registered dietitian or a nurse within the practice, but we've got people trained in these areas to help. I mean, lots of functional medicine practices are actually set up this way. You'd have a functional medicine practitioner. You'd then have a nurse practitioner, maybe a functional medicine health coach. I mean, I, I run a wellness center and my, my, my center is multidisciplinary. So people will come to me for one thing. I'll say, do you know what? Your time is better spent here, here and here. And yes, the initial care costs, tests, whatever, might be a little bit more expensive, but if I can get that patient or that person off a long-term chronic care path, I've just saved hundreds of thousands of dollars. So for me, the 20% of the population that are actually keen to do the work, do you know what? If I can change 20% of the population's life and then stop them having to use and rely on the healthcare systems that are overburdened and they're going to collapse, then do you know what? I'm doing my bit. So bit by bit, the next generation for me will then learn from this and go, oh, do you know what? Diet, lifestyle, exercise does something. And we might, we might just change the trajectory of health. But that's my opinion. I just want to <laughs> so say, I don't, feel like, I don't feel like anybody can argue with you, Marie Christine, because your accent is like, I could listen to you all day long. I, <laughs> I am listening to your content too, though, I promise. Um, <laughs> but um, yes. Okay. I know Brant, Brant, you, and I think both you and Chase had unmuted at some point. Um, Brant, if you want to go first and then we'll go to Chase. Thank you. No, I love uh, listening to you as well, Marie Christine. You know, I think in general, you know, I'm a pharmacist, but I'm also a health coach. And I think in general, most doctors don't know, and it's not their fault, but they just weren't trained in nutrition. Right. So those are some interesting stats that you mentioned, uh, uh, Claudia, you know, the 14% thought they had the training to address nutrition, um, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, you know, if you think back or if I look back eight years ago, I was in retail pharmacy. And if someone came up to my counter and said, Brent, what do I need to do to live out of my healthiest body? You know, I would have just mentioned what I knew, what I thought I knew was the best thing at the time. I would have said, you got to eat right. And you got to exercise. That's what I knew at the time. Whereas if I was in retail today, my answer would be very, very different. And as I mentioned earlier, my answer would entail, you need to address the three health issues that we all face today, whether it's nutrient deficiency, toxicity, and the shortening of our telomeres, in my opinion. Um, that way you give your body the best chance to heal itself from the inside out. So I, I think most uh, you know, to chase your point, you see a, a lot of, most practitioners see a lot of patients every day. A nutrition talk takes a lot more time than just writing a few prescriptions. Um, I love the collaboration idea. And I think it, I think it exists out there in some cases where a practitioner refers someone to, you know, a functional, you know, medicine nutritionist somewhere where they can discuss their nutrition daily habits, sleep patterns, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think nutrition has to be part of the conversation in some fashion for, for optimal health. 
Go ahead, Chase. Yeah, this is a, an interesting point and one I can totally agree with. And uh, of those 14% that you mentioned that um, said that they're qualified to teach nutrition, probably only 2% were, but <laughs> the, uh, the thing with nutrition and medical school is yes, most schools don't have a dedicated nutrition class. And I know they're starting to change that now in some schools, but the vast majority don't. You get the broad scopes in your biochemistry class, which really covers like the food pyramid you could think of. It's very general. These are the macromolecules. These are the diseases that happen if you have too much or not enough of this vitamin or that vitamin. But it's difficult with nutrition because there have been so few actual you know, high quality studies on most nutri nutrient um, molecules. So vitamins, we have um, certain aspects with saturated fat versus unsaturated fat. There's pretty good evidence for a lot of the rest. There's just not, um, but it does look like there are some shifts in that. And I I've heard lifestyle medicine mentioned once, which I'm less familiar with. And then there's preventive medicine. So the um, ACPM, American College of Preventive Medicine, those two seem to be more focused on that aspect of things than a lot of the other specialties were. So traditionally in the hospital setting, at least not necessarily at your doctor's home clinic, you go in there. If there's a nutrition problem, they ask the registered dietitian. Uh, registered dietitians have specialized knowledge in that, not a nutritionist, because that doesn't actually mean anything in most states. A lot of people can claim nutritionists without any certification or anything like that. Um, but a registered dietitian has at least a bachelor's, if not higher, specifically in nutrition. So we'll send them there. But that doesn't happen in the private clinic so much. You're not going to go to your GP and they recommend a registered dietitian. Most likely they're going to say, go eat better. So there could be better collaborations there for sure. And, uh, and I have heard that happening here and there, but probably not nearly as much as it should. Yeah, I feel like we're all coming around. We're all like coming around to be a big family hugging. Uh, okay. I would love to spend, I know some of us have to go right at noon. So I would love to spend the, the next few minutes and Zach, you're welcome to go since I know you might have to go first, but um, about what, where do we go from here? So I, I think that we've definitely identified some of the, the gaps and concerns from different sides. Um, I will say from a medical school standpoint, some are doing an amazing job. Uh, University of South Carolina in Greenville actually has is the first med school in the country to incorporate education in nutrition, physical activity, behavioral change, and self-care for the intention of both helping their patients, but also for taking care of themselves. And I think that's a huge point to be made. We could have an entire podcast just on that, on self-care for, for their providers themselves and physicians themselves, but they're doing a really fantastic job of incorporating what it looks like to know about nutrition. And they even have chefs coming, like they have a whole culinary program and they actually get the medical students into um, a commercial kitchen and teach them what it looks like to incorporate a, a more, you know, plant forward type of a diet. Um, so in any case, I want to leave that on a, on a more positive note that there is movement forward in a, in a great direction, but what are your thoughts as a group about where do we go from here? So based on what, you know, the problems to be, what would be some of your suggestions of how to improve? Um, Zach, I don't know if you want to Marie Christine, I'll definitely keep you on deck for next. I don't know if you want to go first Zach, just to, for time purposes. Sure. I'm happy to for time and because, you know, I'll bring a different perspective here and, and then I'll get out of the way and let our, our medical professionals speak too. But, uh, you know, the background I bring is very much on the end user, the patient and, and kind of their needs. And so it strikes me maybe two things. One is that we are talking about such, anytime we talk healthcare, such a large systematic, you know, complex machine that needs to be addressed from a variety of angles, um, both including providers and patients and about 50 other systems in between. So one for me is there is this question for how we might think about shifting kind of the moment. Um, we think a lot in moments, moments that matter, moments that um, moments of need as a way of designing. And, and so I didn't hear much disagreement amongst the panel about having a more proactive conversation. Obviously, some different disagreement in treatment methods, but one way we might continue to improve in the future is to shift that moment upstream for the patient. Because I think any patient, whether they're showing up to a functional provider or more traditional you know, healthcare provider, 
if they're coming to you in the moment of need, that is the urgent need to your point, Claudia, you know, if I'm there for the EpiPen, I'm not going to be open to engaging in a, in a broader conversation about my overall well-being and health. And so shifting the moment might be one way. And in the retail pharmacy setting, I know the wait period is one small baby step that could be taken that by the time I get to the counter and I'm ready to check out, even if you engage me in a broader conversation about my overall health, I'm ready to leave. I just stood in line for five minutes. I need the prescription and I need to go. So even when pharmacists are trying to expand the conversations, shifting that moment upstream and considering how we might have the conversation while they're waiting in line or ahead of time or in a scheduled appointment is one way we've seen kind of people taking steps to just shift that moment. So it's not when I'm there for the prescription. Um, so I, that's a small path forward, a small way that, that we've been considering it. And, and I don't know what you all would suggest, but it's a way that from a patient pers perspective, we've wondered how we might make things a little bit easier on providers and pharmacists, everybody in between. Yeah, thank you for that, Zach. Marie, Christine. So uh, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it depends on where patients are coming from. For me, I think we have to educate because this is, it's like steering a cruise ship, isn't it? It's not gonna happen fast. And unless we get the next generation and start implementing these strategies in schools, they're more on diet, lifestyle, what nutrition really is. And it doesn't need to be anything kind of major, just eat real food. It would be a really good start. Like if it's got five different ingredients on the label, it's unlikely that's gonna be real food. Just go for the bare bones basics. So I think classes in schools without shadow of doubt, I think group kind of webinars and availability in healthcare that those patients, whether it's a 20% portion or a little bit more, whatever, have the option to come to a class and learn about this stuff for free. And even better to give them points, you know, if so thinking about the standing in line time and the wait time, you know, if you watch something for 10 minutes whilst you wait, you get a discount you know, and it just might give those that five minutes, they might go, oh, that's reframed my thinking on that. I'm still going to get my prescription this time around. But the more you're drip feeding this information, you might start steering that cruise ship round. And again, you know, if, if patients are joining in these classes or they're making an effort to join a gym, I don't know, give them a reduced tax rate because they're being actually, they're helping the system reduce cost. And I think if you incentivize people with cash, they love that. I mean, we just need to look at the COVID vaccines. I mean, you'll get a holiday if you get a COVID vaccine. <laughs> you know, people are doing stuff because they're like, yes, that's a great idea. You know, I think we've got so many ways we can do it whilst educating them. And then we've got a better chance of changing this trajectory. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Marie. Christine. Jerika. So you said, what next? I think um, first panels like this are great. And thank you for bringing us together to talk about um, differing points of view in a civil way. So I think uh, these types of conversations more need to happen. Um, two, I think it, uh, I don't assume that any physician that says I don't have time has any ill will. I think that the, um, and, and this is obviously a longer conversation, conversation. I think that when you're looking at the economics of healthcare, that all factors in. And so um, I, I feel that unfortunately, healthcare providers that are in, if you will, the quote unquote system are subject to the confines of that system. And so um, there are limitations. And so again, that's a broader conversation than what we've had here today, but then also continued collaboration. And I don't think that one discipline or one way has all of the answers. I think that if everybody contributes what they know, then we can have, as uh, Dr. Marie Christine said, a better, healthier next generation. And then I would say education as well. I think that patients don't come asking for what they don't know about. I think that patients don't know to ask because as a healthcare system, and I'm speaking here in the United States, I feel like we've trained people to have the behavior that they have. So they see a commercial on TV and people are running through fields of lilies and it's like, oh, I wanna feel that way, the way that person looks. So prescribe that to me. So I, I, um, I acknowledge that patients are also 
a part of the system and are trained, in my opinion, to want their healthcare the way they want it. So I think education is, is paramount as well. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Cause at the end of, uh, right about the end of pharmacy school, we were writing papers on, on our different takes on direct to consumer advertising. Cause it was somewhat new. Now it's like, it's a, it's a Tuesday. It's every day. So yes. All right. Chase and Brant, whoever wants to go first. I'll leave the doctor for the end. How's that to wrap it up? So I think to, I think people are looking for two things today. I think People are looking for a more of a positive, happy environment, especially with the world, how negative it is and so forth today. But people are, are also looking for better health, right? Um, imagine what just Jerrica said, if everyone in the world was running through a field of lilies, I mean, imagine how happier and healthier people would be today. You know, so I think, you know, where do we go from here? I think, you know, one, we have to address the reactive patients, right? The, peop- the, the patients that go to the doctor's office because of an issue, right? But give them options when they get there. Maybe it's not the doctor talking to them an extra five or 10 minutes about nutrition. Maybe it's them watching a, a video before they get to and talk to the doctor. Maybe it's changing some of the paperwork they do ahead of time or at the doctor's office and asking them, would you like a quick fix or would you like a long-term solution? You know, not in those words, but something like that, right? You know, and, and as, a, as a proactive approach, I think, you know, educating practitioners in school, I think is a great start, especially the, the point you gave, Claudia, of the one in South Carolina, um, teaching people how to be proactive with their health versus reactive. And I think that's where we got to start. We got to keep talking about it, keep collaborating podcasts like this, and that's where we're going to make some headway. Adi, can I just jump in and make an ad to something that has come up three times now in education? Um, Chase, before you go, the only thing I'll say here too is just like the call out on, on the need for education for, for physicians, for instance, in nutrition. Um, you know, there's, there's a need to talk and, and discuss more about human behavior change. And I think that's been at the root of what Marie-Christine, Jerika have both said, like when they're having discussions with folks who come to see them. Um, and it may be something that's missing broadly in the world, but also with physicians is that we're not just coaching on the medicine, the science and the knowledge, because knowing doesn't equal doing, but there's a, a case to be made that physicians and, and providers that, that think more functionally have to consider behavior change and the barriers for human beings that kind of get in the way, regardless of the information they have to share. So Brent, your comment is just about continuing physician, excuse me, physician education kind of brought that up for me. All right. You get the last word, Chase. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm really glad that I was able to join this and speak with all of you about this very controversial topic sometimes. And uh, uh, I feel like that doesn't happen a lot in other realms for a multitude of different reasons. So good to be able to do so. I do agree that education is going to be sort of the saving grace for everyone, for the practitioners and for the patients and finding ways to get them good quality information and try to fight misinformation is probably the key to better patient care in the future. No, it definitely is. But how to do that from each of our different walks of life is, I guess, the issue we'll have to solve tomorrow. Well, I really appreciate each one of you coming. I know that this was time in your day, but I also know that you all came here because you're passionate about this topic. Otherwise you wouldn't have have carved out the time in your day. And I think the fact that we have this many people passionate about having these conversations means that we will absolutely be making headway and improvements because we, we each have the ability to do so on small, on a small scale in our communities. And within those small scales, we'll begin to, to spread out and make, make much larger differences on a larger scale. So thank you all for having a really, I think, I mean, I don't think there was any fighting at all. And with Marie Christine's accent, I feel like we just, it brought it all together. So we might as well just be having a virtual hug. Thank you all so much for joining me. Thanks, Claudia. Thank you so much to this panel for stepping forward into the very unknown. They didn't know anybody on here. I didn't know anybody on here. And so I feel like that's what made it so great. I hope you also appreciated the conversation. I look forward to having more of these. So I would actually love to hear from you, the audience, what you liked about this, what you want more of. You can go to speakpipe.com slash mindingwellness 
and you can actually leave me a voicemail, which is oftentimes easier than sending an email or a text. So I would love to hear your voice and I would love to hear what you loved about this and what you would like us to dive in deeper with regard to healthcare. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the panel. I loved every minute of it and look forward to even more. If you love this episode or any previous episode, I would so appreciate the love on iTunes. The reviews help people find this podcast and keep us going. Thank you so much. I'll see you here again next time.